Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. Our final installation on Pirkei Avos. There is so much said in Pirkei Avos about not speaking, about silence, How do you make a speech about silence? For example, the end of chapter one, there are a few quotes from uh, Hillel and then from Shammai. And by the way, we've spoken about Hillel and Shammai. There seems to be the impression that Hillel was a nice guy and Shammai, God forbid, was not. Because of the story, the, the guy who came who wanted to convert while standing on one foot And when he came to Shammai, Shammai uh, chased him away. Whereas Hillel told him, what is hateful to you, don't do to others. So Shammai seems to be uh, a little rough around the edges. What is the quote from Shammai? Shammai's motto in life, Heve mekabel as kol ha'odam b'seve ponem yafes. Receive every person with a friendly approach, with a friendly face. So when the guy came to convert, how could Shammai not practice what he preached? So obviously we're, we're not understanding the story properly. Of course, Shammai was very polite and very gracious. But the man wanted to know what is Judaism on one foot. And what Shammai told him was minimum requirement for Judaism, <laughs> scared him away. If that's minimum, uh, I can't do it. And he ran away. So it's not that Hillel chased him away with anger or with negative. He answered his question, but it was too much for one foot. Hillel broke it down more so he could accept it, even on one foot. But certainly Shammai was not nasty. The Mishnah after that says, Rabbi Gamliel used to say, make yourself a teacher, avoid doubtful things, don't function out of doubt, find out for sure, and do not tithe by estimation, by approximation. If you're going to give a tenth, make sure it's a tenth, not approximately a tenth. Shimon, his son, said, All my life I grew among the sages, and I found nothing better for the body than silence. Another thing, it is not the learning that is essential, it's the doing. And the third thing, anyone who speaks too much brings sin, leads to sin. There are other statements in in Perkeavos about the value of silence. For example, speak little and do a lot. It's a very good philosophy to live by. Speak less, do more. The safeguard to wisdom is silence. So let's understand what the value of silence is. 
And what kind of silence are we talking about here? Now, the classical commentaries say very simply, there is nothing better for the body than silence means that when you are offended, when you are insulted, if you remain silent, that's the best thing. Do not respond to an insult with an insult. Which basically means some degree of humility where you can accept the insult, but you would rather not do the insulting. So what kind of silence is valuable? Not just sitting around not saying anything. What's the value in that? So the commentaries say this silence means when you're provoked to say something nasty and you don't say it. That silence is very good. But that doesn't quite explain the three items that Shimon says. Nothing better for the body than silence. It's not the learning that is essential, but the doing. And whoever speaks a lot leads himself to sin. Also, what does it mean there's nothing better for the body? What's it got to do with the body? It should simply say there's nothing better than silence. Why to the body? Rambam says the silence we're talking about here means literally not talking. Because, he says, so much of speech is regrettable that the best thing to do is not to talk. And he breaks it down. He says there are four kinds of speech. There is speech that is desirable. There is speech that is forbidden. There is speech that is undesirable. And there is speech that is unnecessary. The speech that is desirable is, of course, words of Torah. Speaking Torah, studying Torah, quoting Torah, or prayer. This is speech that is necessary, good, desirable. Then, of course, there is speech that is forbidden. Not allowed to lie, not allowed to slander, not allowed to make false promises, not allowed to gossip, Lashon Hara. On the point of Lashon Hara, Rambam says, Lashon Hara doesn't mean lying about a person, making up stories. That's slander. Gossip, Lashon Hara, means what you're saying is true, but it's not complimentary, and therefore forbidden. In fact, Rambam says, we see from the Gemara, that if you compliment a person too much, it is sinful. Because when you compliment a person too much, it tempts his enemies, those who don't like him, to counter with a criticism. So you're actually causing the person to be embarrassed or ashamed by his detractors by giving too many compliments. You give a reasonable compliment, everybody's comfortable with that. But if you exaggerate a person's virtues, you're tempting somebody to say, he's not that great. Yesterday I saw him do, or you know, whatever. So even that would be considered 
Lashon Hara, because although you're not saying anything negative, you're inviting negative comment. In fact, to be perfectly honest, we all are guilty of doing that. You want to start a real interesting conversation and you say, so what do you think? The guy's pretty good, huh? And you're hoping somebody would say no. <laughs> so that the conversation would be interesting. Because if everybody says yes, well, <laughs> what's so exciting about that? So you purposely make a very positive blanket comment to stir some nasty conversation. So even that would constitute forbidden talk. Then there is talk that is not forbidden, but it's not desirable, which Rambam calls vile conversation. Mius, ugly. It's not a sin, you're not criticizing anybody, but the talk is, is nasty, it's mean-spirited. It's, it's embarrassing for a human being, like vulgar language, speaking of things that are inappropriate, in places that are inappropriate, at times that are inappropriate. So a comment can be very innocent and acceptable in one setting, but very tasteless in another setting. That's called the undesirable. It's not forbidden, but if you had a little self-respect, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't talk like that. And then, of course, there's the rest of the of conversation and, and talk, which is simply unnecessary. It's talk about nothing. Did you hear? Did you see? What do you think? It's nothing. It's just filler. If you have nothing else to do, you talk. <laughs> Not good. So, Rambam takes this statement, there's nothing better for the body than silence, to mean literally, don't talk. You've got nothing to say. Or you do have something to say, but it's not fit to print. <laughs> or it's fit to print, but you'll get sued because it's nasty. So three out of four categories of speech are, are, are not, not necessary. And therefore, not speaking is the best thing. To prove it, Reb Shimon goes on to say, even when you're studying Torah, take a look. Studying Torah is that part of speech that is wonderful, right? Even in the study of Torah, it's not the study that is important, it's the doing. So even the good speech is good because it leads to good actions. Speech alone so, if you speak words of Torah, you talk about values, you talk about good things, and you don't do it. So the Gemara says, better you should not have spoken about it. Because hypocrisy is not nice. Or as the wisest of all men says in, uh, in Mishlei, or Kahelis, good words are very appropriate for those who do them. It's very nice to hear good words from a person who practices them, which of course implies that it's not so nice to hear it from someone who doesn't practice them. So to prove that speech is not good and we're better off not speaking, Reb Shimon goes on to say, 
even in the study of Torah, it's not the study, it's not the words, it's the action that is important. And then thirdly, even in the teaching of Torah, when you do practice it, if you speak too much, if you use too many words, you're going to drive your students to sin. Not you're going to sin. We're not talking about people who are, who are vulnerable to sinning. We're talking about people who are beyond that and they're going beyond the letter of the law. Right? That's the theme of Perkyavos. But what might happen, it leads to sin. doesn't mean it leads you to sin. It will lead your students to sin because they're going to they're gonna get lost in the words and they're not going to get the correct conclusion. And so they'll end up doing something wrong. That's why when you teach Torah, your words should be precise. They should be economical. Don't talk too much. Don't put too many words. Don't belabor the point. Otherwise, the student misses the point and that will not lead to good things. So there actually is a Mishnah that says, always teach briefly and concisely so that the point is not lost. And the truth, of course, is that when we look back, when we look back at our past, what we regret most, most often, most commonly, are words. If you regret something you did, that's not so usual, it's not so common. How many things did you do that you regret doing? Two, three? <laughs> but words? Endless years worth of statements, of, of careless conversation, regrettable. Either because it's wrong, we should not have said it, or it's embarrassing, what was I thinking? Or was I babbling about? Or because it was vulgar and out of poor taste? So we have a lot of regrets when it comes to, speak, to speech, to words. And so right in the beginning of Pirkei Avos, in the first chapter, although it's towards the end of the chapter, the sages make it clear that words are not what it's all about. Some famous man once said, well done is always a better compliment than well said. So even if you can defend yourself with words, having done well is a lot better than having the right words. Now the Rebbe takes this to a whole different level. Mentioned before, the classical commentaries say that it's talking about not speaking when you're provoked. Rambam says it means not speaking. Because a lot of talk is regrettable. By the way, among the desirable speech is not only words of Torah, but also discussion of moral values or of good character traits. This is desirable speech. For example, when Hasidim get together to fabring. They don't quote or read from the Torah. They talk about what's good, what's enviable, what's worth striving for. 
the kinds of things we should be ashamed of and avoid. You talk about values, you talk about character, good character, noble character, refinement of character. This is conversation that is very desirable. Right up along with words of Torah. And unfortunately, not enough of that happens. People are either studying Torah or they're talking nonsense. Doesn't seem to be anything in between. But there should be. There should be. Even when you're not quoting Torah, you should be talking about worthy topics. That's what human intelligence dictates, not divine dictate. Just human intelligence. We should speak about things that are loftier than ourselves because our minds should always be looking upwards towards things a little beyond our reach. Otherwise, our world becomes very small, petty. So that's how Rambam understands the, uh, the Mishnah, that speech is good for the body, uh, silence is good for the body, means literally, don't talk. Now the Rebbe, according to Hasidus, introduces a whole new thing completely different take on the whole thing. The Rebbe says like this. Reb Shimon introduces his statements by saying, all my life, all my days, I grew among the sages. He was surrounded by sages. His father was the head of the academy and he was surrounded by students of the academy. He was a sage among sages. And that's how he grew up. So he says, all my life, I grew among the sages, and I found nothing better, etc. Why the introduction? Does he need to convince us that his opinions are worthy of attention? I'm not just some schmendrick, you know. I grew up among sages, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> None of the other sages have a need to do that. So the Rebbe says, all my life I grew up among sages doesn't mean that all his life as he was growing he was surrounded by sages now it means more than that all my life i grew not i grew up all my life that was surrounded by sages i never stopped growing so i continued to be a student of the sages all my life I never reached the point where I knew enough. I was a sage myself. All my life I grew. Even in old age, I continued to grow and learn from the sages. And in spite of this, I found nothing better than silence. It's kind of a disappointment. <laughs> With that kind of buildup, you expect something really profound so I grew all my life among the sages. And what do I know? I know that, don't babble. Don't talk nonsense. That took you a whole lifetime of growth among sages? That should have been the first thing you learned when you were a kid. Didn't your mother tell you to be quiet? Why do you need to be surrounded by sages? 
by the way, completely off the subject, but in raising children, there's an indulgence that we have that is not a good thing for the child. If a child is, is talking nonsense, a young kid, and it's perfectly natural and okay for the kid to talk nonsense, but the parents should say, you're talking nonsense. That's nonsense. Certainly we shouldn't encourage it and, <laughs> and enter into that conversation with the child. We, sh we certainly shouldn't encourage nonsense. We tolerate it because it's a child. But encourage it? No. So responsible parents will tell a child, you're talking nonsense. That's silly. And silly is not so, not important. We actually have to help our children grow up. We let them do it on their own. It's not a good idea. What do we get paid for anyway? We're supposed to be there to help them grow, not just watch, sometimes helplessly. <laughs> we should have something to offer at every age. So when a kid is babbling nonsense, what do we have to offer? A little reality check. Okay, that's nonsense. So to think that the Shimon grew up among the sages and continued to grow all his life, and what he discovered was that it's not nice to talk nonsense or to talk vulgar. or to... nah, There's something missing here, right? So the Rebbe says, Reb Shimon's statement is cosmic. He's not talking about biting your tongue when you're about to say something stupid. All my life I grew among the sages, and I discovered that there are two ways in which we are supposed to fix the world. Tikkun olam. There are two ways in which we elevate the world to its godly potential. One way is you recognize the value of physical life. You recognize the value of a physical universe. But you also are conscious of its divine purpose. Money is good. Got to give tzedakah. Food is good, but you have to say the appropriate blessings. Going to work, having a profession, very nice. But it's got to be done honestly, and it's got to be done you know, during the weekday, not on Shabbos, and so on. So it's all very important, but there's the better way or the godly way of doing it. Another approach is the physical world is not important at all. There is no value to eating, to money, to business. There's no value to it at all. Unless it serves a divine purpose. The difference between these two ways, of course one is higher, one is lower. The difference is this. God created the world, the physical world, with words. God said, let there be. The word of God gives life to the world. With the word of God were the heavens made. God created the world with words. But the words with which he created the world are not obvious. You look at a table, you don't see the word of God. 
table looks like it manages on its own. That it is not receiving its existence and life from the word of God. So, our job in elevating the world, perfecting world, tikkun olam, our job is to reveal the word of God that is in everything. When we do that, the world becomes a godlier world. When the creation is conscious of its creator, it's a better world, of course. So the first level is the world is important, the physical universe is necessary, but it will be a lot better if it recognizes its creator. So creation is great, but it would be a lot better if creation knows its creator. And so you serve God in such a way that the world, let's talk about people, that people will come to know and recognize who said and the world came to be. Avraham did this actually with his tent, with the four doors. He invited guests to come in and eat. And when they would thank him for the food, he would say, don't thank me, thank the one who created the food. And thereby educated a generation of people to the knowledge of the world's creator. They knew the world, now they knew its creator. That's good. Now that's called revealing the word. That's called speech. Speaking in the world means making the word of God felt or known in the world. That's one way of elevating the creation. There's another way. Torah is, of course, the word of God. But more than that, it is the thought. It's God's thought. Torah and Kabbalah, Kabbalah says that Torah is God's will and God's thought. Now, what is the difference between thought and speech? Speech is for others. Thought is for yourself. So thought is much closer to your soul than speech. Because when you're alone, you think you don't have to speak. So speech is not for you. It's not necessary for you. It's only necessary when there's someone else that you need to communicate with. But for your own soul, you don't need speech. Talking to yourself is not a good habit. So speech is external for export. Thought is closer to the soul. It's for yourself. It's internal. There's a level of existence. Like, for example, the universe exists on Shabbos, but it's not as physical as during the week. Because during the week, God creates the world with words. And on Shabbos, God creates the world with thought. By keeping the world in his thoughts, the world continues to exist. But bringing the world into his thought makes the world higher, closer to him, not quite as physical. So the, the sages say that even an ignorant person finds that he can't lie on Shabbos. Something about Shabbos, he, he usually lies, but on Shabbos he can't lie. 
even though he's not a scholar who appreciates the significance of Shabbos. All he knows is that on the calendar it says today is Shabbos. And yet for some reason he can't bring himself to lie on a holy day. So what does a holy day mean? A holy day means the world, the universe, existence, creation is drawn a little closer to the Creator and so it becomes a little more like the Creator. And since God is true, you can't lie. You become a little more true. Well, even if we can lie on Shabbos, the point is that God relates to the world either through speech or through thought. Now, the other way of elevating the world is by going into the level of thought. We don't want to reveal the word of God. We want to reveal the purpose of God. God's purpose. God said, let there be light. What was he thinking? What does he need light for? Why did he say that? God said, let there be grass, trees, birds, animals, fish, creepy crawly things. That's what he said. Why? What does he want with these things? What is his thought? What is his intention? What's in his heart when he says these things? So it's not enough to reveal to the world the word of God that makes the grass grass, makes the animal an animal, makes the stone a stone. That's good. It's not enough. Not enough. It's not enough to look at a sunset and say, there's got to be a God. It's good. It's not enough. You have to reveal into the world God's thought, God's intention. What does he want with the grass and with the sky and so on and so forth? If you're looking, if you're functioning on the level of thought, then the words are not important. And that's called silence. So here's what Shimon is saying. Shimon is saying, all my life I grew among sages and I discovered there are two ways to be holy. One is to see the importance of the universe and improve on it by revealing the word of God and the other is to see no importance at all to the physical universe. The only importance is what does God want with his universe? The first level is called speech. The second level is called silence. So basically what the Rebbe is saying is that Reb Shimon was talking about a silence that has cosmic impact. And what does this silence consist of? Thought. It's not just don't, don't talk. It's get to know the thought. Be busy with the thought. When you're thinking, you can't talk. You can't be interrupted. I'm thinking. So silence here doesn't mean the absence of talk. It means busy with thought. So silence is almost a euphemism for thought. Because when you're thinking, you're silent. Or because thoughts are silent. When I'm thinking, you can't hear it. So silence here literally means thought. Be 
thoughtful. The second statement is, it's not the learning that's important, it's the deed. Now we have three comments. One is, talk is no good. Thought is good. Thought is good, but action is even better. So when Rabbi Shimon says, I grew up among the sages and I found nothing better for the body than silence, what he means to say is the body, the physical universe, the body can mean the body of the universe, the bulk of existence. There's nothing better than silence. What does it mean there's nothing better? It means there is something good, but there's nothing better than this. What is good? Good is words. If you reveal the word of God, that's good for the, for the body. It's good for the world. But there's nothing better than revealing the thought. The silent purpose of God rather than the word of God in the universe. In other words, to make this world great, not to ignore it. To make this world great, it's not enough to see how the world is connected to God's words. You got to see how the world is connected to God's thought. And for that, you got to look past the world. You can't have the attitude, eating is good, money is good, work is good, let's make it better. You'll never get to the thought, to the purpose. To get to the thought and to the purpose, you have to have the attitude that money is nothing unless you can prove to me that there's something godly in it. There's nothing good about eating unless there's something godly about it. There's nothing good about a profession unless you can do something godly with it. That's called the higher level unity. Uniting the world with its source, which is the word of God, that's called lower level unity. Uniting the world with its purpose, with its thought, that's called the higher level unity. When we say the Shema, we say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, God is one. Unity. But we're talking about the higher level unity. And that's why we close our eyes. There is no world. You don't start off with money and food and a job and then think of what you can do to elevate it. You start off with nothing but God. And then if he wants a world, there must be a reason. So you're looking at the universe from God's perspective. And that's why you close your eyes, cover your eyes. The next verse is, meaning God's glory comes down to the world. Here you open your eyes. Because now we're talking about revealing the word of God that creates the world. But the world exists. You can see it. It's here. Now you're talking about a lower perspective of oneness. It's an existent universe, but it has its source in God. The higher level is, there is God. If he wants a universe, that's up to him. But I'm not interested in universes. I'm interested in God. 
That make a little sense? So, now Shimon goes on to say another thing. It is not the learning that is essential, but the doing. There's a difference, you see. What is, how does he describe, what's the adjective he uses to describe silence? He says there's nothing better. Silence is good. Tov. When it comes to the question of learning versus doing, what is the adjective? Essential. He doesn't say learning is not so good, doing is better. He says learning is not so essential. The essential thing is the doing. What he's telling you is this. When it comes to attitudinal approach to the world, there's a good approach and there's a not-so-good approach. The good approach is there is God. If he wants a universe, he must have his reasons. That's a better attitude than there is a universe. Is there more to it than meets the eye? Yes. That's not the best attitude. The best attitude is there's no universe. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. And if God creates a universe, it must suit his purposes. Because really, there's nothing besides God and his needs. So the universe comes second. Whereas in the first approach, you're sure that there's a universe, you're trying to figure out where it came from. So God comes second. Therefore, the better attitude is the silent one. Don't go looking for the word of God. Look for God's thought. What did he mean when he said, let there be light? What does he need light for? What did he mean when he said, I'm going to create a universe? What for? Now, Reb Shimon says, you start to study Torah. And you think that you should have the same attitude in the study of Torah as you have to the universe. The universe is not important. It's only what God intends that's important. Right? Now you study Torah. You say, well, you know, the factual, practical, that's not important. It's the thought that counts. It's the Kabbalah. Not the doing of the mitzvah. It's the mental activity. So Rabbi Shimon says, no, 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 no. Now we're not talking about attitude. If you're studying Torah, the question is not what's a good attitude. The question is what is the essence? What is essential to the world? What's essential to the world is the practical part of Torah more than the thoughtful part. So in Torah, it's the reverse. Concerning the universe, the factual universe is not as important as the intention for which it was created. But don't apply that to Torah. Torah is a whole different thing. In Torah, the question is, study versus doing, which is more essential, not better or worse. When it comes to essential, what does the world need more? A good thought or a good deed? The world needs deeds. The world exists on the level of action. 
So that's why it follows that after saying that you should want to be on a thoughtful level concerning creation, Reb Shimon has to say, but not concerning Torah. When it comes to Torah, it's not the thought that counts. It's the action. And then, the third thing is, Anyone who increases words, who speaks a lot, brings sinfulness, imperfection. Because a person can think, the Rebbe says, that since the main or, or essential thing about the study of Torah is the action, because Torah is revealed or, or embodied in physical things, like the tefillin, the mezuzah, and therefore the act is more important than the thought, you might then think that you can become careless about the thoughts, about the intention. And that's called increasing words. If in Torah the words are more important, unlike in creation, then you might think that in the study of Torah you can increase words, put more emphasis on the behavior than is necessary, and completely ignore the intention and the thought. So, checks and balances, Reb Shimon is saying, in your attitude towards the world, words are not important. Intention. What's God's intention? In Torah, it's not so much the intention that is important, it's the words. Honor your father and mother. Don't turn it into a philosophy. It's a commandment. It's a do. It's an instruction, not a thought. Not a good thought or a deep thought. It's an instruction meant to be done. At the same time, checks and balances. Don't go overboard on the doing to where you become indifferent to its intention. Because if you lose sight of the intention completely, you will pervert the doing. You won't do it right. So, out of these three instructions, out of these three comments, we have a clear instruction on how to live our lives in the way that is most productive for the world. Don't assume that you need money and then when you have it, try to figure out what good you can do. No. There is no money. There's only God. If God wants you to have money, there must be a reason. Find out the reason. There is no eating. There is no running. There is no, there is no universe unless God has some purpose for it. That's what our attitude should be. The result of that is a more thoughtful, a more silent relationship with the universe. You don't take the physical for granted. It is a miraculous creation 
that needs purpose. It doesn't exist for itself. It can't exist for itself. It exists only for a divine reason. You don't know the reason, then you don't need the world. Without its reason, the, the existence of the physical universe is totally unnecessary. That's a healthy attitude. The result of that attitude is, whether you're rich or poor makes no difference to you. Being poor will not depress you, and being rich will not pervert you. Because as far as you're concerned, take it or leave it. Because rich or poor, what's that about? It's something God needs. Well, whatever it is. If you're focused on God's thought and God's need, then having the money is exactly the same as not having it. Either way, it's only what God needs from you, from the money, whatever. And the same with everything else. A big house, a little house. You live in a time of peace or a time of, God forbid, of war. Either way, it's the same issue. So what does God want? So you're not impressed by the facts. Oh, a terrible war is going on. This is true, so what does God want? But if you're too impressed with the war itself and you can't think beyond it, then you're trapped by the world. That's not a higher level unity. So that attitude is the best attitude, even for the body. Your body, whatever it is, what's God's intention? Strong or weak, beautiful, not beautiful, healthy, not healthy, whatever it is. Either way, what is God's purpose? So without this, we have a very different behavior. If, God forbid, I'm not feeling well, I would like to know what God is thinking. What's he doing? I need my health. What is there, some secret deep meaning to this pain? Is there some silver lining to this cloud? But when you're feeling well, no questions. That's not the higher level unity. The higher level unity means, I don't know why I have a body. What's it for? Whether it's healthy or unhealthy, who needs it? What is it for? What's the purpose? So if it's healthy, that's nice. What's the purpose? What would all these exercisers, joggers, dieters, what would they do if God came along and said, I promise you, you're going to be healthy till 99 without jogging? What would they do with their spare time? <laughs> you would have to say, I'm going to be healthy till 99? Why? Why? What for? Oh, what's wrong with being healthy? Nothing wrong with being healthy, but what is it for? What's the thought? What's the purpose? And if, God forbid, the body is not healthy, what's the purpose? Same issue, either way. So what's best for the body is to have this higher level unity, even though the lower level is pretty nice. Not good enough. 
not if you're going beyond the letter of the law. On the other hand, when you study Torah, it is so tempting to find the profound and the deep and the mystical significance of every word to where you forget the practical instruction. Sir Shema says, you got to turn that around. When it comes to Torah, when it comes to God's attitude, not your attitude, in God's attitude, the doing is more important than the thought because he wants a physical universe perfected. He doesn't want you in the clouds. He doesn't need you on Mars. So the action is more important than the, than the thought. So when a person says, God said, honor your father and mother, what did he mean by that? Not how do you do it. What is he looking for? What's in it for him? What is the deeper significance? What's going to happen if I honor my mother? Don't do that. Just honor. Just honor. And that's why the Ten Commandments were written the way they're written. No explanations. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Oh, you mean so society can... Oh, shut up. Just do it. Don't start with the philosophizing. This is an instruction. <laughs> now the person can go to the other extreme. Don't tell me the reasons and don't explain anything. I heard you. Honor my mother, I'll honor my mother. Keep Shabbos? Fine, I'm keeping Shabbos, leave me alone. Would you like to learn and understand? No. Not necessary. I'm already doing Shabbos, so leave me alone. I don't need to study deeper thoughts. I don't need to appreciate deeper ideas to understand the richness. I'm doing it, all right? Didn't you say that that was the main thing? Okay, so I, I did it. Now leave me alone. That doesn't work. Because if you do it that way, you're eventually going to keep Shabbos wrong. You're not going to do it right if you don't have the spirit of the law behind the letter of the law. So it's true, the action is more essential. It doesn't mean that the thoughts are unimportant. I think we spoke about this before. Uh, the Zohar says, a mitzvah without love and fear, without inner kavana, is like a bird without wings. So it's true that a bird without wings is still a bird. Not pretty. <laughs> Can't fly, but it's a bird. It's a kosher animal. Even without its wings, it's still kosher. But what if you have only the thought, only the inner motivation, but you don't actually do the mitzvah? What is it then? Then it's wings without a bird. That's just feathers. That's nothing. A bird without wings is a living creature. 
if it happens to be your bird, you have to feed that bird before you're allowed to sit down to eat yourself. Because you're obligated not to cause the bird pain. Not to be cruel to an animal. But if you don't have the bird, you have only the wings, there's no mitzvah. You can eat any time you want. <laughs> you have no obligation to those feathers. Because it's not a living being. So when we say it's not the study that's important or essential, it is the deed, of course, a bird is more important than its wings. But a bird without wings? That's not nice. So the person says, look, I got a bird, okay? It's enough of a bird. It doesn't need wings. I'm not interested. So, well, you could give your bird wings. Not important. Yes, it's important. A bird was meant to fly. Give it wings. And that's why when people say, I've studied the code of Jewish law, I study the Talmud, I know what to do, I'm religious, I'm orthodox, super orthodox, why do I have to learn Hasidic interpretations or Kabbalah? Well, because those are the wings. Don't need wings? A wingless bird is good enough for you? It's not nice. Give your mitzvah wings. So that's why the third thing Rabbi Shimon says is, anyone who is marbidvarim, when it comes to Torah, he puts more emphasis on the practical to the exclusion of the thought behind it, will eventually not do the mitzvah right. If you don't know the inner intent, then on certain circumstances, you're going to do it wrong. honor your father and mother. Your father says, I don't want you to marry a Jew. I want you to marry a non-Jew. It could happen. Hypothetical. Honor your father and mother. Got to do what your father says, right? No. If you don't know the purpose and the intent of the commandment, you're going to do it wrong. Your father says, I don't want you to marry this Jewish girl. I don't like her. It'll make me very uncomfortable and unhappy. I'll have a heart attack if you marry her. Well, honor your father and mother. So you don't marry her. See, now you don't understand the mitzvah. Because you didn't read the thought behind it. The thought behind it is you never bring disgrace to your parents. If your parents tell you to misbehave and you obey, you will bring disgrace to them. Because sooner or later your father's going to realize that was bad. That was wrong. So if you don't listen, that's how you honor them. Your father says, hit me. You don't have an obligation to hit him. <laughs> oh, it says you have to honor your parents. Learn a little more. Read the fine print. Get to the thought behind the commandment. Otherwise, you don't know the commandment at all. So we've got a plan for life. In the world, be very thoughtful. In Torah, 
take the word seriously. In that balance, we make the world perfect. That make sense? A little bit?